0: Welcome to Call That Girl's Office 365 Show. Keep up with Lisa's day-to-day problems and solutions she encounters with Outlook, third-party apps, and Office 365. The learning never ends, folks. Learn from Lisa. Welcome to Call That Girl's Office 365 Show. I'm Lisa Hendrickson, your hostess, and this is show number 17. But for the next few shows... Or maybe longer. The show is going to have a co-host and I welcome Derek Lodars from FireLogic based out of Chicago, Illinois. Welcome Derek. Hi Lisa, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Ah, uh, no
1: complaints. No complaints. Life has been good. We're uh, just in the process of bringing two new staff members on board over here at, oh uh, at FireLogic, so we are uh, definitely growing. It, it and it's been a while since we've you know last been on a show together. I, how long has it been?
0: I know. Well, we did the Bamcast together. Do you remember uh the listeners I, I might I remember do. that show? Yeah. Yep. And me and you had this great rapport together. So when I was kind of revamping the Office 365 show, I was like, you know what? I need to get Derek on. And here's why is because Derek is not only just a plethora of knowledge in IT (laughs) in general, but he knows Google apps and Office 365, which to me is just a wonderful blend of knowledge for all clients. And I asked Derek to come on and do a few shows with me. So we're going to start a new series out here for the listeners um, my past shows were Office 365 just kind of jumble everything. Little Outlook, little this, but mm-hmm. Derek and I actually have a constructed series of topics starting like from what A to Z. Derek, is that a good way to put it? Or yeah, start yeah.
1: The it's end? the uh, it's the A to Z uh, dictionary of, uh, of anything yes. and everything related to to jumping into 365, <laughs> the different topics and and basics around it, and also how to implement it and uh, you know support your customers on it. So and- we hope to jump in a little bit of everything and give everyone a taste of you know the things that that Lisa and I are doing on a uh, what near day to day basis at this point. <laughs> well, now- kind
0: of doing separate though too. And I mean, you've had to grow your company. I've been growing mine as well, but we're supporting small business and you support medium to enterprise level – which I don't touch and a lot of our (laughs) listeners are running MSPs and they're just getting their feet wet with this or they're, you know, I think it's just also awesome to listen to other people doing what we're doing. Cause I like listening to other stories cause I learned
1: because
0: if you self-train listening to others helps you get an idea of how you can do something better, more efficient. I mean, that's why I'm kind of thinking that these shows are going to be great. And we're also going to ask the listeners to email in questions To us for future shows. And Derek and I kind of started going through our show notes, and we're just like, wow, we can add on so many things. It just doesn't seem to the, end.
1: The list doesn't, the list never ends, unfortunately. You know, 365 is for, for better or for worse, you know, such a large product and it's got so many different tentacles that, I know. my <laughs> gosh, I, I mean, we went over the show notes and, and topics that we want to cover and it's like the list just keeps on growing and growing. So, know. you know, we'll probably have to add on a few shows between questions and other things that, you know, come up in discussion. But, uh, I'm really excited. You know, 365 is a product that, you know, in one way or another, technicians are going to be needing to put their hands mm-hmm. on because this is what businesses want to move on to. This is the logical next step for cloud email and business email out there. And you know, whether you like it or not, you're gonna to have to you know get to know this product if you're working especially in the small business space or the mid-sized business space like my company does, uh, because this is you know, we, you know, we're not really rolling out on-premise exchange systems anymore. Most customers uh-huh. want to make a switch to the cloud, and and you know that brings in the discussion of Google Apps versus Office 365, and we'll talk about that as well. Uh-huh. You know during today's show, so I'm really excited.
0: Yeah, so am I, I think um, like I was saying earlier, Derek and I have kind of put together this list. In the upcoming series, um, we're going to talk about products, prices, pricing, excuse me, licensing, installing, configuring, training, marketing, sales, and uh, just like I said, doesn't seem to end. So. <laughs> These shows are intended for the small solo business owners like myself, the break-fix guys, uh, people who are mobile techs that are starting to get the calls, people that run stores, small office guys, all the way up to the medium size, uh MSPs, and I don't know your enterprise level exactly, Derek, but I'm sure you'll tell us, but I mean, I don't deal with any of that, mm-hmm. so that's all on you, and... Um, and then, you know, based on my old shows, I, I did get a lot of compliments from people that liked my beginning of the story or beginning of the show, which was the, the stories. Well, Derek and I are going to fill in the stories as we talk about the topics. So basically this is the longest. We'll probably talk about the intro. Next, we're just going to jump in. We tell our stories in between. So you get the best of everything. And then, yes, you're going to hear us pitch about our consulting services because we're not going to, you know, uh, Just leave you this information if you want our help. You know, we will help you. You can hire us for hire. Um, I do have a series of ebooks available. That uh, one is the Microsoft Exchange Migration ebook, Step by Step. I have my remote support book. And basically, you can hire me for Outlook expertise as well. So listen, learn. If you need us, we're available. We're going to start the show off by giving out our emails. And Derek, I'll have you do yours um, first. Sure. I think
1: the easiest way to get in touch with me,
0: um, I, I guess, you
1: know, since we're doing a three sixty five show, I'm going to give out my FireLogic email. Uh, very mm-hmm. simply, if you want to reach out to me directly, uh, it's just uh, D W at firelogic.net. So that's D as in Derek and then W uh, as my initial, first initial my last name, uh, Lodars. Uh, so DW at firelogic.net. Uh, shoot me an email if you have any questions or need okay. some assistance on a customer project that you're doing. Again, uh, you know, we do it. We're doing a lot with the mid-sized business space or sort of that, you know, entry-level enterprise area. Um, uh, over 100 seats, uh, up to about 200, 250 seats or so. Um, you know, you have some good experience in that realm. I'm gonna share a lot of the expertise that you know and things that I've run across with Office three sixty five uh since I've started implementing it, oh about you know two, two and a half years ago at this point. Uh and and you'll definitely hear a lot of good items and, and some stories from, from from the field. Uh so we'll we'll hopefully mold together a very nice and uh, uh dynamic <laughs> show that covers you know the full spectrum of you know smaller businesses and also those larger clients that you may
0: be uh, Oh Derek to. I can't wait to hear your stuff because I honestly do not deal with it and it just is amazing to me when I start hearing people are doing migrations of 250 mailboxes mm-hmm. it's so outside of my scope I just do 10 to 12 as my cap kind of and I'm just like excited to learn from you so back to my email and then we'll get on with the show I'm Lisa at call so we're gonna start I'm gonna thank Derek for stepping up and Derek take it away you can get going on the notes here
1: All right. Well, let's just, uh, let's jump right into it. I guess first thing that we wanted to cover, Lisa, and I think this, again, you know, this is something you stressed in a prior show that you Mm -hmm. did on Office 365. And, and, and and I really feel that we need to do this a little bit of justice because there's a lot of confusion out there, out on the market, especially among the technician space in terms of, you know, what is, you know, three Office 365, you know, it's, it's got a single name. Microsoft is, as we all know, very bad with the way it markets its Mm -hmm. products and Office 365 is really no different here. Microsoft's made a lot of blunders in how they've been marketing this, and I wish they would clean up their act. Um, but, but Lisa, you know, the, the difference of home versus business. Um. Yeah. I, I think that is, you know, one thing, one big difference that you know we need to make sure that technicians know that Office 365 really is a is a family of of products. Oh yes, right? that's a, a d- good word
0: for it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's a very large family, and of course there's the there's the home sides, right? So we have our Office 365 home versions, and there's also what a personal version, I believe now. Oh yeah, that is even cheaper. And then on the other side of the flag, we have the Office 365 business, um, editions.
0: And so for the sake of moving ahead, we're never going to talk about the home version. So, if, uh, <laughs> there's just no point. Mm-hmm. Um, so for the listeners, if, if you say, Hey, I have Office 365, if you're not using Exchange, SharePoint, um, OneDrive for business, Yammer, and, uh, the Office 2013 suite, then you probably just have the, the Office 2013 with the one terabyte OneDrive. That is a product we're not going to talk about. Did I explain that probably good enough or no? <laughs> I,
1: I, I think that's that's a good way to look at it. Yeah. So anything that's called yeah. Office 365 Home or Office 365 yeah. Personal, those are, those are items that are meant for p- customers' home PCs. We don't care about those suites. Uh, the one we are really focusing on is the business edition suites, um, You know, the ones, the business essentials, business, business premium, and then, of course, the enterprise level plans. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, But one other thing to know about the business side is not only can you get it in those nice uh, all-you-can-eat style. Plans of those different plan levels I just mentioned, but the nice thing about the way Microsoft handles the business suites is that we can also purchase any of the services a la carte. You can get yes. just Exchange Online, you can get just Link service, you can get just SharePoint service. So, so this is why this is such a confusing area because you know I we I, especially oh, yeah. I talk with customers. I say, well, you know, I want Exchange and I want Link. You know which off plan should I go with? And again, those are some of the things in terms of licensing. We'll talk about next show, show number two. We're going to dive really deeply into, you know, the licensing side of it. What comes in the different suite levels? Why you should look at, you know, enterprise level suite versus the small business or the business level, um, plans, non-enterprise, uh, you know, a lot of nuances there. And and we'll go into those, uh, uh, differences on the next show
0: and limitations because I've learned that if you're a growing company, which my clients don't ever have to deal with this, yours probably do is mm-hmm. if you're in one package and if you start to grow you can't go up to another package sometimes unless you redo the in- entire thing Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So Microsoft. Yeah. So Microsoft. And again, we'll touch on that in the next yeah. show probably. But uh, there is some mobility Microsoft provides, yeah. but it's sort of a it's sort of a one time thing. You know, you only have yeah. one <laughs> chance to make a switch, and if you make the mistake of switching to the wrong plan at that point, then you're kind of you know dead in the water. You have to make a full migration between entire you know plan levels, and that is mm-hmm. messy. It's dirty. It's time consuming. You really want to make sure that you know when you're talking with customers that you're planning out which suite they should be on right up front because. Exactly. Changing, exactly. changing plan levels, while it can be done in certain circumstances, you don't want to count on that as being something no. you need to do within the first, you know, three to five years of them being on oh the Oh, goodness.
0: It's expensive to do – well, I don't even use this word onboarding. Mm-hmm. You maybe do. I don't. I call it a migration Mm -hmm. and it's expensive for me the way I do it, but it's Mm -hmm. expensive for you too. But that's something a client doesn't want to have to recoup a cost in a few years to redo. Mm -hmm. We'll talk about that later. But a final note here I want to talk about in the business side of it is, um, is that I sell mostly single products so that I'm just going to make clear. So when I Mm -hmm. talk about things, I'm a single product unless clients call me to get support on what they've already bought. That's a different angle. I don't know if you get those kind of calls, Derek, when it comes to the office home versus business. People call me for one thing or they've called me because they've already bought the Microsoft suite. And that's when they're confused because they don't know what they bought. Yeah, I've had a lot of issues in
1: in that regard. Not as much on the email side of things, because really you can't get the email part of the suite in the home edition. The bigger problem I've run into is that customers that are going out and improperly licensing. They want, you know, for example, Office downloadable edition on their computer, and they're going out and getting the home version because they love that. You know, ninety nine dollars for five PCs price tag, and then I tell them, well, you know, legally we really can't be doing that on business computers. So that is that's really the area I'm having a lot of confusion in is that, you know, customers are just not properly licensing what they need for for their machines. So,
0: let's say someone calls you and says, I just went and bought at Best Buy six of these versions and I have 30 computers and I can put it on five, you know, five on each. (laughs) What do you do ethically if they've already bought it and set it up themselves? Well,
1: you know, and that's that's a case by case basis, Lisa, you know, (laughs) and that's a tough position, you know, because we deal with software, the the ethics around software licensing all the time here, as you can imagine. And, you know, there's a lot of times where I have to tell customers, you know what, I mean... Ethically, we can't go ahead and support this scenario. If you set it up yourself and you do it, I mean that's up to you. But as a business providing U.S. service, as a technology company that is a, a partner of Microsoft, I can't sit here and 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 help you fulfill you know illegally licensing your machine. So the, it, it's a it's uh-huh. a it's a touchy conversation. But you know what, I it, I think people usually do understand once I make the case for why you know why we can't uh-huh. support that kind of a scenario. So I
0: think I think what. And just to make sure that we're clear for the listeners mm-hmm. is that what business people are doing is going out and buying the retail box of basically the home version. Mm-hmm. And then they want the other – um they call us for the Office 365 business. Mm-hmm. Well, they've already bought the software. So that's – again, there's the six pieces mean I had a <laughs> scenario
1: just like this that came up and here's how we transitioned the customer off. So a little bit of a story in terms of a, a real life scenario. I have a, a a property management firm out in Texas that we support. They went ahead and of course before we came into the picture, they were licensing machines using the home version, right? So mm-hmm. after that subscription ran out, since they were already we moved them onto the business version for email and, and link and SharePoint things like that. Uh, we went ahead and, and once their machines were expiring in terms of licensing, I told them, Hey, we're just going to go ahead and we're going to tack on E3 licensing for those other users on those machines because, you know, you guys had improperly licensed the home version. And, you know, when I, once I explained <laughs> that to the, to the to the business owner, he was fine with that, you know, and, yeah. and I told him, you know, this is the full legal way to, to license your systems. He had no issue. We tacked on a few E3 licenses for the users on those machines. And that was simple problem solved. So you can easily, you know, move between, the different subscriptions in that manner, you know, from Mm -hmm. home, move them into business, as long as you, again, make the case for why it should be done and, you know, why, you know, you really don't want to be using the home version on, you know, on your business units.
0: And see, there we go, go going from one extreme to another. You put them, you took them off the retail box one to an Mm -hmm. E3. And I, that's where I'm foggy. So Mm -hmm. when we get to that part, that'll be very good for you to explain because I'm in the middle where I'm like, I don't deal with that. (laughs) You know, but that's why the listeners can learn so much because I don't know anything about any of the, the higher end of the products and the clients who need it. So.
1: And I think, again, that would be a perfect discussion yeah. we can dive into on show number two when we talk about licensing exactly. because that is a whole nother discussion, as you know. Oh, uh,
0: yeah. And I already have my own dramas with the small business. Like, and I'm mm-hmm. talking small one to 10, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. you don't really deal with much. Okay, so our first topic was understanding home versus business. Now, if you have any questions about what we just talked about because this is our first show, please email us. We'll try to make a correction in show two or to explain something better maybe. So um, next up, Derek, is pre-2013, Office 365 for Business. Yep. In January 2013, release onward. Yes, so Gosh. I wanted
1: to take a moment <laughs> about this because – Especially in the space where customers... the, the, especially the clients that I'm working with, you know, a lot of them ha- looked into Office 365 previously, and it, t- if technicians, if you're just jumping into Office 365, one thing you may not know is that 365 has been around since about 2008, 2009 at this point, so it's not a new product. Yeah. It's just that it's gotten a lot of traction in the last two or three years. And One distinction I want to make sure everyone knows about is that the pre-2013, the pre- January 2013 edition of Office 365 was really not that great, and that's. <laughs> You know, really wise, you know, and on your side, Lisa, I know you used to do hosted exchange for a lot of customers. And even I was dabbling a little bit with that as well because 365 really was not a great product. It was very buggy. It was very, you know, a lot of the features were missing. Microsoft really didn't have its act together. But when it came to January 2013, that was sort of the transition time where they really improved a lot of the mm-hmm. aspects of 365 and a lot of the things that people really hated and the downtime they were having. Um, that was all resolved in that release. So that's the current release that we're still on um, in regards to the business edition of the suite. And so I, I want to make sure people know that distinction because if you grew up a cus- against a customer like I do all the time that says, well, I tried Office 365 you yep. know, back in 2011 and I hated it because it was buggy and it didn't work. You need to make sure that you know that in, in January 2013, there was a, a, a new release, and that is the current version, and iteration of the product, and it's a night and day difference. So and you want I to make sure you have that clients. ammo.
0: Yep. I have a lot of those clients that I'm like, well, when I go to say something, I'm like, you really need exchange. I don't use the word Office 365 so much mm-hmm. because I'm more exchange person. And they're like, I did it once, at least I hated it. <laughs> I'm like okay, then you did it the old way, and like like you said, I didn't have that experience. I didn't start supporting it till about two years ago, mm-hmm. maybe two and a half, like you. Sure, but again, I came in from a different level. I was doing more the hosted move to Exchange mm-hmm. um, anyway. Okay, so we got that cleared up. Now, next up is the business. For businesses, the differences between downloadable Office 365 Pro versus pure online services of Office 365, email, link, SharePoint, OneDrive, etc.
1: So so if we look at Office 365 Lisa as sort of being this uh, uh big family of products and we're just now talking about the business side of the suite. Now we have another division that we need to make sure people know about. And mm-hmm. that is the division between the wh- what Microsoft still calls just Office 365, they label it as Pro Plus all, a lot of the time. I don't know if they're using that same title, but but that y- y- the, the, in terms of the downloadable suite that you can use in your computer, right? Mm-hmm. Outlook, Word, Excel, that is a part of a lot of the 3 65 families of, of suites like E3 or the business premium level plan, or you can just purchase Pro Plus on its own as an a la carte license. Um, but you know that is a separate piece of the product than the Pure Play online services, right? Okay. Exchange Online, the Link service, the SharePoint service. Uh, so I want to make sure the technicians know that Microsoft goofy and its goofy you know marketing um, wisdom calls Office 365 you know the same thing for every part of its service, but you know there is still a little bit of a distinction between those online services and that downloadable product that you get as part of the suite.
0: Yeah, and nobody, I there is no one person in the world that just wants online web apps for Word. Mm-hmm. Nobody, they all want to download. Or they all want it on their computers. And one fear I think that the clients have is they say, if I'm not on the internet, I can't use it, and I'm like. You can't if you're not on the web, if you're using web only, no. Mm -hmm. But if you're on your computer and you have the downloadable version, yes. Do you know anybody, Derek, that just buys the online one? Um, well,
1: it's funny that you mentioned that. I actually do have a a, a legal office that we actually transitioned at 365 uh, out and uh, out on the East Coast, and they're about six to seven people, and they are most of them are using Max. Uh, uh. And actually, they went to the pure. They're just using SharePoint. They're using the Office Web Apps, and they, you know, as far as I know, they're fairly happy with it. You know, there's really? a few rough edges, uh, but again, that's the exception. That is, uh. is not the rule. That's not the rule. By all means, I mean that's one customer out of you know perhaps. Uh, four Forty or fifty yeah. that we've moved already uh, that has decided to do that. So and
0: they're a full Mac shop, so they of course, yeah, they get the older edition, with- and,
1: and that's actually something also that we should mention for a lot of people that don't know. So w- when we talk about three sixty five, you know, the Mac users out there unfortunately are still a little bit of second class <laughs> citizens when it comes to <laughs> Office, as you know, Outlook for Mac is, it, you know, well. Maybe you do you know do you know about the new release of Outlook for Mac? Lisa, have you well, I just played with installed
0: it at all? it I just installed it, which basically a Outlook 2011. Yep. So it's not an upgrade for them at all. And Outlook 2011, I could have a whole show on that. I mean, honestly, <laughs> I'd support that so much. And mm-hmm. Exchange is great, but that's part of the Office 365 email, mm-hmm. business class email is Exchange, right? Mm-hmm. So they, I set it up just fine with them. I don't really have a problem with the exchange on 2011. Mm-hmm. Do you? Um, you? You know, in general, I, I you know I had a real horror story.
1: A uh, customer that uh, a Mac user, like a two-person shop that we moved over to 365, uh, that was about a year ago or so, uh, and she had, my gosh, probably – 10 different PST files that we had to merge together, Mm -hmm. and she has in total like 45 gigs of email. And I'll tell you, when you get to that much email in Outlook for Mac, that -hmm. thing really starts to show its rough edges. I don't think that product was made to handle that much in terms of email.
0: Once they do their their next upgrade to compete with um, the Outlook 2013 for PCs, 2013 for PCs, that sucker can hold its weight. Oh, yeah. I've got fifty gigs well almost fifty gigs for one client mm-hmm. it runs like a train it's just mm-hmm. beautiful yeah and but yeah you're right 2011 is older I mean it's clunky and and I don't have a problem with uh, setting up the exchange accounts mm-hmm. moving mail. It's the contexts and categories that mess people up. Oh, really? So that's another show, too. I'm, we'll talk about the software versions of stuff later. You, you just can't sort by categories at all, and I've learned the hard way. Sometimes you do have to learn the hard way, which is you have to try, figure it out, and go, okay, this can't be done.
1: Yep. yeah. So the Mac, so just on the Mac side, just one last thing I want to say about it. You know, a lot of my Mac customers and I have to have a very careful conversation with them until the new release of Office for Mac comes out, which should be later this year. Uh, which which should put the Mac side on fairly good parity with Windows. It's still yep. going to be always best on Windows, as Microsoft says, but they're going to be closer than they've ever been in terms of the performance and outlook, the different features. The OneDrive for Business is finally going to be out for the Mac users. So a lot of these things that have been really missing and lacking and and, like, Link has been very buggy on the Mac side for the last few years. Uh, they hope to really fix a lot of that up. So if you have Mac customers on the brink of moving, you need to make sure if you're moving that amount to 365 that they need to be aware that, you know, the outlook, the office for Mac uh, in general is... You know, until yeah. the release comes out, it's going to be a little bit of a touchy situation. So just be very honest with them, as I am with my customers, because you need to be sure you're setting expectations right. You know, if you're telling customers about the Windows experience for Mac users, you know there's going to be some shock <laughs> and awe that comes when they get on board. So
0: I love calling Office 365 the Office 365 experience because <laughs> it is for every person a different experience, <laughs> no matter what PC or Mac you're on. It's very true it's and, it's actually, and
1: it's three different experiences Lisa if you think about it yeah. the Mac users the web only and web app users and then you have the Windows side users so yeah. it's three different kind of experiences that are sort of molding themselves together but you know still a lot of disparities between the different uh, uh, you know user bases <clears throat> so.
0: yeah and like I was saying earlier you do so many different levels of, of work than I do um, we'll talk about sales and marketing later but uh, in another show but I think mm-hmm. that you know if you're going to start out and jump into Derek's level, uh, you probably have the best experience already supporting uh, the hardware versions of these, mm-hmm. I'm going to guess, because you were doing a lot of hardware server support before, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, we still
1: do yeah. that. I mean, still a yeah. part of our big bread and butter is the server support and the hardware, the, the in-person on-site support. Uh, mm-hmm. And yeah, as a, as a quick tip to those looking to get into 365, do not be signing up. You know, large customers, 50, 60, 70 or more seats for your first job because you will pay the price. You know, 365 is a product where Lisa, I mean, you can probably fully agree with me that you need to really start out at a small user base and maybe just a one or two user, a single, uh, a single person or two person shop or a very low stakes move because Really, there's so much to learn when it comes to, to 365. You don't want to be using that large customer as your guinea pig. You really do not. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I, I, I've told the story before. My first hosted exchange move was for 22 people. I, I give the clients full fair warning. I've never done this, but they were mm-hmm. like, we're going to trust you and it'll be okay. Yep. And I had a, a team where we did, um, uh, it was a Gmail to GoDaddy Hosted Exchange back in 2011. Okay, And, you know, it was horrifying. But, you know, what? I learned so much from it. And the clients didn't complain. They had eight stores and I think two or three computers at each store. And basically I just did it the exact same way how I wrote my book. Mm-hmm. I downloaded everything to the computer then we do the migration then you import I mean it's pretty simple Mm -hmm. but I'm doing it the long way I know there's faster ways and you do it that way so yeah uh, when you're talking about doing a lot of seats and that's again something we'll touch on in
1: probably the third show in terms of the migration aspect but you're talking about doing more than 30 or 40 people doing the manual route is not going to be an option and I'll talk about (laughs) some of the things uh, and the ways to get around and automating some of that Uh, now again it's not you're not going to automate everything there's no such thing as a one click button that's going to just do everything for you um but, you know, again, in terms of the migration side and the heavy lifting of moving email, there are some tools out there that can make yeah. that process a little bit easier. And we'll get wouldn't, into it be that great. In just,
0: wouldn't it be great if you could just push a button that says, just do it all now, <laughs> Office 365, and they just go do it. Well, and, and Lisa, <laughs> I,
1: I wish that was the case. But as you know, you know, I, and unfortunately, you know, part of the problem is that Microsoft, I think, advertises this product as being something that you can so easily move on LNL. to. And part of the problem I'm having is that telling customers, well, you know, a lot of them say Say, well, Microsoft just says I can, you know, do this, and they have a three-step process, and I can just get onto it, and it'll be so easy. And then they come back to me and say, "Wow, we're in the middle of a migration; things are falling apart." Derek, we need you to come in here and save us.
0: So, and then um, you get to then you get to fix broken pieces, and that's well, where and I that's, actually make more money than a migration.
1: It, it's unfortunately true, but you know, when a uh-huh. customer goes through and botches a migration or screws up uh, yep. DNS records or does, uh, you know, breaks PST uh, files during migration or, or, or you need. Know, any of the different things that can happen during a, a botched move uh, yes it does get more expensive so you know one thing as a technician you want to make sure you're doing is telling customers you know sure if you want to go the self route and do it uh, that's fine but you know what when it comes to fixing a botched move you're probably gonna end up paying you know a good 75 uh, you know 50 to 75 percent more than you originally would yeah. have paid because it gets messy and, and the things that you mess up we're gonna to have to come in and clean up behind you so. yeah
0: I just had a client from California call there I IT guy. <laughs> this is pretty sad. Uh-huh. He did the migration, but it was in bad shape. He still left the MX record in there of 40. Oh God. And and so anyway, I, I told the client, I said, I'm gonna bill you for one hour, I'm gonna remote in, I'm gonna look at your records, mm-hmm. and just to make sure that everything's on par because they had a, a laundry list of problems. I am not kidding. With screenshots, I said, Nobody should have this many problems. Mm-hmm. In that hour, I I did some poking around there, a Mac shop too. And, I, you know, I was like, whatever, it doesn't matter to me, it's all exchange. Found the MX record, they had zero at Microsoft, 40 at their old. I said, let's remove that, see how it goes over the weekend. Mm-hmm. And I said, now, for me to fix all these other issues, I'm going to give you a quote of 8 to 12 hours, because I have to work with each person. I don't know what I'm getting into. That's a high quote. Mm-hmm. And I haven't heard from them since. Hmm. Now, they either, the, that one MX record was the bug, I mean, they had tons of issues that an MX record could make that problem happen Sure. with the email delivery and email this and that. And, and then they said they'd get back to me, and they haven't. So I was like, hey, I got the hour 29 in, the 129 in for the mm-hmm. consulting job. Sure. But then, you know, I don't know, maybe that fixed it. So that's why their IT guy gave up. That's what I was going for here. <laughs> he said, I can't fix this. So they went and hired counsel.
1: and and here's the thing you know a lot of guys just because you know exchange doesn't mean you're necessarily going to know and going to be good at 365 you know it is a natural fit to progress from doing exchange because a lot of the concepts are very similar I mean exchange online is pretty much a cloud version of exchange but you know the server product and the cloud product still have a lot of nuances and differences and there's a lot of things and and a lot of you know migrations that we walk into Um, we're actually just coming into one right now actually uh, a, a a uh, an energy company that tried to make a move to Google Apps, and things were sort of starting to fall apart, and we've been brought in to clean up the mess, and we're actually moving them now to 365 instead uh, oh. after showing them some of the differences. So we'll get into that in just a moment as well. That's our
0: segue to the next topic, Derek. <laughs> Perfect.
1: Uh, so Which that was is
0: Google Apps versus Office 365. I, I would love to hear this story because everybody knows I'm not a Google fan mm-hmm. uh, You know, with Gmail and Google Apps and you are but why would a client have problems with one that you have to migrate them to the other um, enemy of theirs <laughs> of Microsoft
1: well, it, you know, the, one of the biggest items that comes into this discussion of Google Apps versus Office 365, and to be honest with Elisa, we could probably spend a whole show just on the differences between these two because yeah. there is a lot of confusion out there. Uh, you know, both sides—I'm not going to blame Microsoft and Google, right? Their marketing departments are, you know, throwing some hot air around in terms of what each product can do or can't do. But I see, yeah. you know, Google's end is doing a, a, a lot bigger disservice because they're promising a, a much easier transition away from Exchange. Than is actually the case. And I've been, I've been both sides of the aisle. I'm going to be completely honest. I'm yeah. a Google partner and I'm also a Microsoft partner. I was doing Google Apps years ago before I was doing the Office 365. Mm-hmm. I have a very, you know, large amount of experience in the Google Apps realm. Um, and I've seen firsthand a lot of the things that have caused a lot of pain in transitions to Google. And, and I want to make sure we go over some of these uh, right now and- because there's quite a few of them that could be showstoppers that you may not know about off the top.
0: And I can't wait for. Number one, because it is my area, <laughs> and this is the main reason why people call me to get off Google Apps, and go ahead. Yeah, so, so,
1: so the biggest reason, I would say about 75% of the pain that comes into a transition with Google Apps, and Lisa, I, I want you to speak to this as well, yeah. is the fact that Outlook support, even though Google has a tool called Google Apps Sync for Outlook, yes. it is a very buggy, very poor product, uh, yeah. and again, that's my... You know that's me speaking, and I'm a Google partner as well, so I'm going to give them the you know the 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 crud on the on the air mm-hmm. here because uh, they're really doing Outlook customers a disservice. Now again, I know they have a vested interest in pushing people to the Gmail web interface, and that's fine. But Lisa, as you know, a lot of customers love Outlook and they like working with an mm-hmm. Outlook, and and it's a tool that they don't want to step away from. So you know you have Google on the one hand saying, well we have a tool we can support you even if you have Outlook because we have a great sync tool, but you know behind the scenes they're kind of saying, well you're really. Should be moving to the Google web interface.
0: Yeah, and you cannot get an Outlook person to understand the the Gmail interface. Mm-hmm. They hate it. The threads don't match. They think if they're forwarding the, is something, they're forwarding the entire thread. Mm-hmm. They literally have begged me, "Just get me off this." And I'm like, "Yeah, I'll put you on back in Outlook and get everything down." But then, from an Outlook point of view, you get those files, um, the the Gmail folder structure is horrible, mm-hmm. and it retains every single email twice. I mean, to me, there's just so many Outlook problems that they should just not even have it. But some people, it works great until they have a problem, and then mm-hmm. I always quote them a two-hour fix because it's just never easy with, with Gmail and Outlook. Mm-hmm. And so, so the, the biggest negative is it just doesn't work and most of the companies that are just using it are using the interface, the OneDrive, and I don't know what else they have. Mm-hmm. What is it, Gmail and OneDrive? And, no, oh, Gmail no, and the Google
1: Drive. they got the Hangouts, Drive. the Hangouts, the Hangouts tool now uh, as well. Those are probably the three okay. biggest pieces of the suite. Uh, and we'll gotcha. go into some of those downsides of, you know, as, uh, from some of those different apps yeah. uh, as well because I've got a lot of experience with oh. those on a bigger scale, so I want to definitely make sure everyone knows about well, t- those as well.
0: Well, to me, it's just kind of like... When I get a call in for Gmail, I already just know it's going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. Like big two hour problem. There's mm-hmm. never a 15 minute fix. And I do the migrations and they're pretty easy to do. So I've never get any calls that people say, I want to go to Google. Mm-hmm. You know, to me, it's the other one. The marketing's stronger too. Sure. Microsoft has strong marketing. Out there, where Google, you don't see their marketing. Mm-hmm. I think Google apps are more provided, if I'm correct, by IT departments and webmasters.
1: Well, here's here's actually what I've been seeing uh, in, in in reality, Lisa, is that it seems that you know Google. They had a big push into the business sphere and the enterprise sphere, I think, a few years back. Mm-hmm. And my three sixty five has really just exploded, to be honest. Of all the customers we move between three sixty five and Google Apps, for every I'd say every thirty we do to three sixty five, we're doing maybe one to Google Apps. It's just that yeah. the the features, the benefits, the uh, the the ease of transition between exchange and three sixty five mm-hmm. is so easy these days, there's really little reason to be moving to Google Apps. And actually I, I but there are a few cases where you know the Google Apps situation may be a better fit. And I'll touch on, you know, those few items, uh, you know, at the end of our conversation on the differences here.
0: Yeah. I also have to just take a note that I met a guy at the comp TIA conference in Mm -hmm. Phoenix last year. He has 200 employees and he goes, we're all buying, was it a Chromebook? And we're going 100% Google apps. And everything's gonna be on this Chromebook, and no one can download anything.
1: And that is a situation. Uh, <laughs> and that is a situation where Google Apps is a natural fit, and moving some of 365 on something like that would be a painful experience. So that is a one use case where, yes, you have to be able to say that you would be a good fit for Google Apps.
0: Yeah, I would never have assisted with that kind of job, but uh, th- those people are out there. They think that Google is the end all be all. Everything's on the cloud. I'm like, hey, you know, whatever. I I do different business. So so back to the list here. Negatives of Google Apps is the Outlook support is bad. And Lisa, one last thing I wanted to say. I have
1: a few customers, a few probably I'd say...
0: 15 to 30
1: C customers that we were moving over to Google Apps before the 365 transition happened in that 2013 edition I was talking about. Um, and they are full Outlook shops that are using the Google Apps Sync tool. And I will say they have their own IT person that sort of handles the day-to-day needs. And I hear from them on a consistent basis that uh, they have to probably redo the Sync tool for about one person about once a month at this point. Yeah because it breaks or has a sync issue oh, yeah. so again that tool requires ongoing upkeep and staff are going to see breaks with that sync tool so that's something that you want to make sure customers know that if you're insisting yes. on using Google apps and you want to use a sync tool do know you will be redoing that tool there will be labor time involved with fixing it when it does break and it does break from time to time
0: Oh I remember the first time I had to set up the Google sync apps tool I just about cried I was like are you kidding me <laughs> it is so annoying It takes forever. Even with people with nothing in their mailboxes. Mm -hmm. And the window pops up and you can try to minimize it and it's always running and it's just a nightmare. Yeah, and the reason
1: reason it has so many issues is because Google does not use the native exchange mode for um, email mode for going and syncing mail. It does a conversion. The sync tool pretty much streams everything in from Gmail, converts it from Google East format into Microsoft format, and and that tool (laughs) has to play that translation game in the middle. As you can imagine, the more mail you have, the more folders you have, the more issues that customers will see. So that's one thing I yep. just want to make sure technicians know about in case a customer is just so insistent on using Google apps but keeping their Outlook interface.
0: Yeah, and the thing is if you're listening to the show and you're coming from a Google side <laughs> and want to get involved, I always try to tell people this that there's Google people and then there's Microsoft people. And to me Google is playing in a pool that they, you know, came in with a new idea and they're mm-hmm. trying to change it and it's really kind of Microsoft is like you can't change how it just works well. You know, Outlook, here's my theory. Outlook works great with iPhone and Android works great with Google. Mm -hmm. So when I get calls from people that are Android people, again, it's like it works, the exchange, but Mm -hmm. sometimes it doesn't always work because you got the two titans again. Mm -hmm. I use Mm -hmm. these words a lot and it comes into play that a lot of things just don't work together. And the technology should not mesh together. So if you're the Google coming on over, you definitely need to change all your thinking because it's not the same at all.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: Now, so next on your list was HIPAA compliance. And uh, that's something I have a lot of interest in because I'm just starting to deal with some file sharing HIPAA stuff that's been creeping around.
1: <laughs> yeah. So 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 HIPAA compliance is, is a big deal now, right? So we have all mm-hmm. the laws and regulations going into place uh, regarding the uh, HIPAA rules and the kind of items that, you know, medical offices, not only medical offices, right, all the upstream and downstream vendors that medical offices or establishments rely on, right, all those business mm-hmm. associates, right? I am a business associate to my medical customers, as you are, Lisa, mm-hmm. for any that you support, and we need to be concerned mm-hmm. about keeping HIPAA compliance with the products that we're using, mm-hmm. especially cloud tools. Yeah. And this is this is a big problem that, and, and well... If he has Google, Google will say, well, now we're HIPAA compliant. So Google was really late to the game. Google came to, I think it was October of last year, or September of last year, where they finally stamped their product with HIPAA compliance. They didn't have it for many years, uh, even after yeah. Microsoft introduced it back in like uh, 2012 or late 2011 or something like that. Um, so, so Google says, well, now we're HIPAA compliant. However, you need to read the fine print of what HIPAA uh, compliance and what, what kind of uh, strings and, and rules that Google has attached to that because yeah. one the biggest thing's they'll say is that you have to I believe it's it's still the case where you have to have every single core Google app service turned on in order to keep your Google uh, into to keep your HIPAA compliance active. So if you have a customer, if you have a customer that wants to just use Gmail and not offer anything else for a staff, that's really too bad because Google says you're going to lose your HIPAA compliance from us if you do that. Now I'm not sure why they have that stipulation. I yeah. think it still exists because I was just I was researching it a few, uh, a few months back and it still was in place for a customer that was asking me the question. Um, so until Google changes that stipulation, again, I think their HIPAA compliance uh, status is very uh, tenuous in my eyes, and I wouldn't. I wouldn't – if a customer is telling me they're a medical establishment, I would not be pushing them over to Google Apps. Yeah, well,
0: um... how many calls do you get, though, for HIPAA-compliant stuff? I mean – I hardly get any. I get more lawyers with email archiving issues. Well, I, to, I'll be honest
1: with you, you know, we're supporting more medical offices now and, and a lot of places that were not, did not used to be covered by HIPAA, but now are because they're, like I said, upstream or downstream vendors for huh. the medical sphere. And it's happening quite a bit. I mean, we're actually just right now on, on the tail end of onboarding of 40 person, uh, health insurance, uh, or health, uh, services firm that is considered a HIPAA covered entity. And you know, that was one of the biggest things that, uh, you know, we had to worry about was HIPAA compliance for all the different services. So it's, it's something that is becoming more and more important, especially when you get above that, you know, five or 10 seat realm. And that may yeah. be why you're not seeing as much of that on the lower end of the this, this, this so scale there, Lisa.
0: What do you recommend for a new technician just starting out that is getting HIPAA compliant questions about uh, Gmail? Do you recommend that don't use it? I would probably say, unless you can navigate the
1: language that Google has surrounding HIPAA compliance with Google Apps, I would say don't go towards it. You might get yourself in a hole by doing that. The easiest way to get HIPAA compliant with email, as I tell all my customers, is just to move into Office 365. Microsoft mm-hmm. really, in all honesty, makes this very easy. It's pretty much okay. moving on the service. Every part of their service is actually HIPAA compliant as well. I want to make sure technicians know that, that not only Exchange Online is HIPAA compliant, but SharePoint is HIPAA compliant, one. Drive link as well. You can actually use Link in a medical setting and do HIPAA compliant uh, chats and, and video calls and voice calls, which m- most other products like Skype, you cannot do that. Um, so I want to make sure that you know that every piece of the 365 Sphere it has that HIPAA stamp of approval on it.
0: Okay, and let's stop for a second and just tell people what is HIPAA compliant. Because I, I sometimes wonder myself. I know it's a security, right? Yep. So, so so, HIPAA is a
1: set of regulations. It's a sort of an all-encompassing set of regulations that came into place, actually, all the way back in 1996, I believe. It's been around for a while. It's just that the technology side of it has finally caught up in the last few years and been enforced and is, going to be, is starting to be enforced very heavily now. Um, but it's a rule that's been around that pretty much states what needs to be in place in terms of technology, procedures, and processes to keep patient data safe and secure. Okay, that's, that's really all it is. It's just a, a rule that says, if you're a medical establishment or a vendor that works with a medical establishment, <laughs> here's what you need to do to make sure that customer data, PHI as they call it, patient health uh, information, does not get out in the wild. So. Okay. So that well, because is...
0: it's never, it's not a big um, a need for my clients. So mm-hmm. just to give people an example, uh, with the with the knowledge you just shared, mm-hmm. I had a client that I did a 15-minute consult for. I told him the products of Office 365. He was ready to jump in. And I guess I'm not that familiar with HIPAA compliance, you know, because I don't deal with it. Sure. So he called me back and said, Lisa, we appreciate your quote, but we're going to go with Google. <laughs> oh, wow. okay. I didn't know that. So I should have said, but, you know. A lot of people, I think our next topic coming up here is the pricing anyway, but a lot of people see that $5 a month with Google and they're like, that's all I want. You know, yeah, and it's a annoying. very attractive,
1: it's a very attractive price point. You know what? Then if someone is, fight, is going to be fighting you as a, as a consultant on the price point alone, sometimes you're not going to win that battle. And if that's all they care about is that, is that low $5 price, even though there's ways to have on the 365 and to even undercut the Google side. And we can talk about that in show yeah. number two. Um, but $5 a month all-you-can-eat. You know, a lot of people say, you know what? I mean, it doesn't matter to me. I want Google. I'm going to go Google. And sometimes you're not going to win that conversation. So you have to know, uh-huh. as a technician, you're not always going to win that fight in that conversation with a customer. No. So
0: It comes down to $5. Well, okay. So moving ahead from HIPAA appliance, the next uh, on the list here is 30 gigs of storage that Google Drive offers.
1: Yes. yes. So here's, so here's, here's the this this storage is big game. This, okay. is, this is also a big one. So right, So right. So Microsoft, the way they approach storage space is that they have different sets of storage uh, quotas that are set up for the individual services, right? So Exchange Online users are given 50 gigabytes for their email only. Uh, OneDrive is now turning into unlimited. So OneDrive for Business, they get to put as much as they want into their personal OneDrive for Business area. And then on the SharePoint side, they have that formula of, uh, I think it's 10 gigabytes base plus another 500 megabytes for every user you have licensed. So In essence, every single piece of 365 gives you a separate storage quota. Now, Google, on the other hand, decided that they're going to make it a shared storage pool, right? So here's a situation that I've seen customers run into. Google says you have 30 gigabytes of space between Gmail, Drive, and Google+. So if you have a customer that has 28 gigabytes of Google Drive items, they get 2 gigabytes left over for their email space.
0: But see, that doesn't make any sense there because I know I've had this uh, – well, maybe it's true. One client had three users on Google apps, mm-hmm. and she had uh, – I think her, her file was corrupted. She had a 60-gig uh, IMAP. Interesting. And that was probably corrupted. I mean, this job was a while ago, but I got it down to a nice level and moved over to Exchange, where Mm -hmm. she now has 23 gigs Mm -hmm. from two Mm -hmm. different mailboxes merged together, and it's flowing just perfect. I I guess I never understood the Google Apps shared space issue. Maybe that's why I'm having a lot of problems with my Google people. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the, and the mm-hmm.
1: policy is still in place. I actually just
0: checked it yesterday before I put it oh in the gosh. show notes. I'd actually
1: we can put it in the show notes as well for for when they go up online. Um, but it is still true. I just checked it, and Google for work, Google Apps for work is still a shared storage quota of thirty wow. gigabytes per user. So people need to know that that if you're going to have a lot of stuff in Drive and a lot of stuff in email, you got to pick and choose which one is going to be the one that uh, that takes precedence because you well, are sharing that space.
0: I do know that a lot of my Google clients, they maybe don't know that. and Now that I know that that's great i move a lot of their mail out of their email like we're Mm -hmm. talking gigs and gigs and gigs because they actually can't send and receive anymore Mm -hmm. that must be where google is like you're at the cap you can't send receive till you start clearing out stuff and it'd be nice if they gave people a notification like hey you're at your limit do they Mm -hmm. give those i don't know like is there an administrative uh, function that says you're out of space um, I, believe on, I believe on the back end in the administration panel,
1: you do, as an administrator, you are able to see where someone stands in terms of that. And, and also, one reprieve you might be able to give a good Google Apps user is I believe that you can purchase more storage space if you need to for those, you know, if okay. you have too much email, I believe you might have run into a situation where someone just bought more space. And I actually Maybe. have had that one or two times where someone went out and just bought more space for themselves. But, you know, as part of out of the box, well, how it comes, it is 30 gigabytes between those three okay. different products. So that is all what right. most people, 98% of people are going to be dealing with.
0: And that's per user? Per user. Or yeah, 30 per gigs user. per user. Okay. Per user. Well, that helps me a lot, I guess, because I don't follow Google. I didn't know that. I just go and fix these uh, enormous, gigantic, <laughs> <laughs> overwhelming Gmail. Email. Yep. I'll look messes. So, all right. Well, good to know there, Dirk. Moving on. Uh, the next topic here is, uh, email encryption with Google. They do not have, right?
1: Yes, yes. So, so Google for, <sighs> Google's been in a messy transition. So just to make a long, very long story very, very short, Google has used to have a separate product called Postini. Postini was a spam, spam filtering engine. Yeah. It was actually a very good product. I think Google's been watering it down uh, very heavily by merging it into Google Apps and getting rid of a lot of the features. One of those features that they've gotten rid of and never had a solution for is their email encryption. They used to have it. Oh. Now they didn't have it for like two years when they were making the move from Postini to integrated Google Apps. And now they finally, in the last, I think, half year or so, part partnered with this third party called Zixcorp uh, that used to do email encryption uh, with their own product. And now they offer some kind of integrated, um, uh, well, third party sort of integrated uh, email encryption service that gives people the ability to do that. And again, that's important for users and companies that are going to be under HIPAA compliance regulations that we were talking about a little bit earlier. If you have customers sending out PHI or patient healthcare information uh, over email to end customer or end patients, uh, you have to make sure that you you have full email encryption end-to-end on those transmissions. And with Google, it's been very hard to do. They have now some, again, the Zixcorp tie-in that they're doing. But, again, you can avoid that mess, and 365 offers it as part of you know some of the base packages, or you can just tack it on to Exchange Online a la carte and add that uh, capability if you need it. So it's so do very, you have, very nice.
0: So do you have all these questions in your pre-qualifying uh, client questionnaire? Like, do you need HIPAA compliance? Do you need uh, email encryption? Things like that? Are you yeah. assuming? Okay. Yeah,
1: no, I definitely ask that. We'll talk about I'm that during licensing show. Yeah. In that <laughs> we have to make sure, yeah, are you under HIPAA compliance? I mean, do you have, I also ask them, do you have any legal regulations that require you to archive email for a certain number of years? Yeah. I mean, these are things that people, you know, will not tell you up front, but you have to peg them and ask them, you know, where do you stand? What kind of legalities, you know, surround, you know, your business operation? Then you can sort of piece together the Licensing end in terms of what that customer needs, and bring that package together for three sixty five for them.
0: And I think that uh, that's going to be great for my. Um, I'll put it in one of the show notes, maybe not this one, but the next one. I do have a Microsoft Exchange migration uh, form on my mm-hmm. website mm-hmm. that, when I have a client who's doing a migration, I have them fill it out, which tries to capture all the information. And those are two things that, since I don't deal with a lot, I'm just going to add on a checkbox because then I know I can uh, work on a sale for their email encryption, which um, we'll talk about in the next show. I use a vendor okay. and my vendor sells that as a separate package and also spam filtering. That's another option too. So that's that's all good information. I didn't know any of that, um, but hey, that's why we needed to learn more. Uh, also, here on your list is Google Drive as a file server is very clunky, especially related to folder ownership. Oh yeah, I've seen that. Yep. Just in the so past.
1: <laughs> so so this is again. This comes into discussion of well, uh, Google Drive versus SharePoint. You know, someone wanted to say, well, I don't want to go into the SharePoint space, and I know you've got a lot to say about SharePoint, Lisa, as I do yeah. as well. But the, again, the. Big biggest differences between the way that SharePoint, uh, which is sort of an uh, intranet and enterprise collaboration part of Office 365, where you can do a lot of this document management. Um, it's sort of a the enterprise alternative to Google Drive uh, and the way Google Drive handles files. But one of the big thing that you want to know as, as a technician and something that you don't want to fall victim to is that Google Drive really doesn't work that great as a file server in the cloud. And the reason being is <clears> because <throat> unlike SharePoint, where you can detach those files, folders and detach folder ownership and put it into a separate area controlled by the organization, Google Drive considers any single folder in the Google Drive ecosystem as being owned by someone, right? Mm -hmm. So this brings in big problems when you're talking about, say, a tech administrator or a staff member that put folders out and gave sharing access to others, and now they need to leave and someone else takes ownership. If you're building out a very complex folder structure in the Google Drive ecosystem, managing it for the long haul is going to be a, a little bit of a laborious process, especially the larger the organization gets. Trust me, I have experience with that. I used to work at a high school district where we tried to do this on Google Drive, and there is no easy two ways around it because oh, of the way, dear. again, that Google Drive attaches folder ownership on a per person basis. I mean, have you seen, it sounds like you've seen some of this, Lisa. Oh,
0: yes. You know, I just laugh. I haven't seen Google Drive any calls in for a couple of years, honestly, because mm-hmm. people, I think they read my website, and they're like, she puts nothing in Google here, so I'm not going to call her. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) You know, and I did, Derek, back in the day. Mm -hmm. There was a day back, you know, that Google Drive was easy to set up, easy Mm -hmm. to help and support, and people never called after that. Now it's like, it's kind of like OneDrive. It's not something I want to do, which we'll talk about in another show. It's like they, they change it so much, it's a nightmare. Yeah. And enterprise guys like you, yeah, if you're going to do a whole school district, good luck. Mm-hmm. It sounds like it's a lot of work.
1: It is. It is. I mean, I wasn't uh-huh. the one that was setting that up. Again, I was more in the supporting aspect of it. But again, yeah. I was the one hearing about the pains and the troubles <laughs> we were having uh, with that. So again, it's just something I want to bring up because yeah. there's a lot of technicians out there who say, oh, Google Drive's so cheap, and it looks like it's easy to set up, but you, know, you need to know and be aware yeah. That there are long-term growing pains with putting a file uh, server structure within Google Drive. Exactly. So we'll touch on that a little bit more. Yeah. Maybe show two or show and three. And that's the but.
0: cloud aspect, you know. Either way, yeah. when people talk about the cloud, and you know, you're getting Google Drive, you're getting OneDrive, you're getting Dropbox, or whatever mm-hmm. file locker, whatever else is out there. Mm-hmm. And, and the, any of that comes with a management. What I would say you need to have some consistency. Yep. Consistency within the management of how you're going to run those files. Mm-hmm. Okay. Next up, no a la carte pricing. With Google Drive, it's all or nothing, right?
1: Yeah, so, I so the, one of the biggest differences between Google Apps and 365, through 365, um, especially when you're talking about the enterprise plans where you can piecemeal out and purchase just Exchange Online or just Link or just OneDrive, uh, you can't do that on the Google Apps mm-hmm. site. So even though it's got that cheap price point at five dollars per month, uh, say you have customers that just want to put some people just on Exchange Online, just give them email inboxes. Yeah, you can do that for four dollars per person per month, right? Yep. So you can undercut that Google Apps price point, and even for things like Link, if they just want to give some people link, that's like $2 a month per person. Yeah. So again, you can you can give someone a solution that fits exactly the needs they want for their different staff and pro- and sometimes come in at a cheaper price point than what Google's offering. So mm-hmm. again, that a la carte capability is really, really nice, especially when we're talking about large organizations like the ones I support where people are telling me, bosses say, hey, I want to give you know, uh, all-you-can-eat uh, plans to my top execs. I want to give my regular staff all uh, E1 plans and everyone else, my contractors and my warehouse people, they're just going to get exchange online or kiosk plans, yeah. right? So I can bring that price point down, whereas with Google Apps, it would be, at yep. the end, a more expensive proposal.
0: Yeah, and more tough to support. <clears throat> exactly. Um, so now there's no true alternative to 365 share, shared mailboxes feature. Google Group simulates some mail aspects, but not calendar and context. Oh, good Lord, no. <laughs> I remember one time I had to do a setup. It was like an emergency issue, and... When it came to the calendar and mm-hmm. sharing, it was the biggest nightmare because it was done through the Google App Sync tool. And I, after that, I was like, I'm not going to do it again. Mm-hmm. I just couldn't. And and the figuring out the technology and all that stuff on the fly is just not comfortable for me. I don't want to do anything that I'm not comfortable with anymore.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So what do you have to say about the the groups issue? Because that was really difficult for me at once.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, one big thing, and again, the reason I put that on the list is that a lot of people coming from the exchange side are really used to these shared mailboxes or resource yeah. mailboxes that they have. On the Google App side, that you know that really doesn't exist. I mean, calendars have to be owned by someone. Uh, when you're talking about a shared mailbox in terms of an email, uh, a shared box where you can have emails that are multiple different people can mm-hmm. look at, um, you have to go ahead and either make a full account and license that account for yourself, or you have to go ahead and use the clunky Google. Google Groups interface, and really, you know, that's a, a discussion within itself, and that really doesn't solve all the same needs in terms of having a mailbox that you can look at with an yeah. Outlook and easily share with multiple people. So uh, so do know, if you have customer that needs shared mailbox functionality like it exists in Exchange, you're not going to get that very easily with a mm-hmm. Google app. So do understand that there's a really big pain point.
0: Yeah. In fact, I don't remember working with the group so much except for that one client, so let's not talk about that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, Google Hangout. It says their chat feature comparable to link. Um, You know, my experience with Hangouts is I really uh, only do it on a personal note. I hang Mm -hmm. out with a bunch of techs online, I don't do it for clients. Um, I'm not a fan of it, I don't like Mm -hmm. their. Their little emotes, which I know this is just funny to say, I th- you know, to me it's just not. I like their old Google Talk. Yeah. The Google Talk it was awesome. That to me was their best little product ever. The Google chat- Talk was great. Oh, I can't believe happened? that they
1: killed it off. I can't believe they. You know, Google's going through this phase where you know they had this tool called Google Voice that was doing a lot of the text messaging yeah. and-, and telephony side. Then they had Google Hangouts, which was just for IM and sort of Skype-style functionality. And then Google said, you know, about a year and a half, two years ago, they said, well, we're going to consolidate everything around this Google. Hangouts, which really was a Google Plus oriented product. And the downside of that is that a lot of the features and things we used to love are sort of going by the wayside because Google is really just, you know, pushing all the troops towards using Google Hangouts. And Google Hangouts, I really don't think is ready for prime time. as much as they say that, you know, you can use Hangouts instead of Link or Skype for, you know, big conferences. I don't think that's the case. I mean, I was just a few days ago giving a presentation at a high school for some high school students, and we were broadcasting to the other uh, sister schools at the same time over Hangouts. And we, you know, we had about 10 minutes of difficulties just getting the Hangout going. So mm-hmm. it's a – it's a, and I, this is time and time again I see these problems with Hangouts. I think Google needs to go back to the drawing board and really get this tool uh, under construction again and redo a lot of the aspects of it because I don't think it's ready for prime time, especially compared no. to what Link represents and the stability of Link. Uh, there, it's a night and day difference. It really is.
0: Yeah. I don't have a lot of clients that, uh, that get Link. I've installed it on a few um, mm-hmm. with via the DNS and mm-hmm. installed it for them. The installation is a breeze. Sure. But, uh, I just kind of learned that, um, my clients already have another chat alternative mm-hmm. that they are to use and they like. And, um, one other note about the Google chat, which mm-hmm. is interesting, is I've helped some Google people that use the browser. Sure. And their chat window is kind of like the old Google talk within the browser, though. Sure. Where they don't have to pull in the Hangout plugin yep. from Chrome, I think it is, and uh, that actually seems like a nice chat feature for Google People. I will give them that. Oh, it works well. But yeah, but again,
1: I, but again, that assumes you're using the web interface, and exactly. not everyone wants to sit within the yeah. web interface. I mean, for me, I have no issue with it, but a lot of customers, you know, want to be within Outlook. Outlook, yeah, you know, no, so no that chat. so that brings up, well, am I going to use the Google the, the Hangouts plugin tool, or am I going to you know just do it on my phone? It's again, the experience is just so mm-hmm. convoluted between all the different devices i can't recommend hangouts as a great conferencing or, or no. messaging tool i just can't it's, it's just fun if
0: you're, that you're hanging out with people at night just chit-chatting and stuff but uh mm-hmm. yeah i've already had my own difficulties with doing it with live youtube and yeah i just kind of said enough and uh all right so i think on a final note here with the google apps versus office 365 you said cases for google apps The small user base is already entrenched with Google, world of Gmail, and it's a younger user base that hasn't been exposed to Exchange Outlook yet, and that they don't have high-end needs. That totally makes sense to me, Derek, because a lot of the calls I get are these hip, young, trendy, techie kids, (laughs) and they're all like into all the stuff I'm not, and I can't keep up with them. And they are the ones that are bit-bopping around the internet, doing this, snapping that, you know. They love Gmail, and you can't get them off it unless they get a job at a corporate environment where Exchange is it, and then they fight the system. So yeah. <laughs> I've yeah. learned and, that, and, again, and I think
1: that that sums it up very well. It's either going to be a, the young generation that is perfectly fine with the Gmail world and the way that Google yep. handles things, or an environment that is not very large and doesn't have the kind of needs yeah. like shared mailboxes, complex shared calendaring, yeah. resource boxes. The things Conference that you rooms. just the things that you just can't do within Google Apps no. um, right now. That you know, maybe some very small customers, you know, two. Three, four, or five seats we'll never need, and that's yeah. you know that that could be a use case where Google Apps in that situation would be potentially a better fit. But again, the use cases are far and few in between where Google is you know outdoing the Microsoft side.
0: I think I also just need to add on as a decorative um, negative is that when you are in Outlook and you get an email from someone who's on Google mm-hmm. Gmail, the. Um, their email looks so horrible. <laughs> it comes out with just spacing issues. Mm-hmm. It always has this really long string. It's just never their name hardly because I think it's configured wrong. Sure. To me, it just shows that they're on Gmail. And to me, I just, I don't know. I would always look down like, why are you on that? <laughs> you can clean this up. I one had one client that actually hired me because she hated how long her name was in the email. Oh, wow. Yeah, and it was horrible. And I said, "Well, Exchange will do that for you. We'll clean that right on up." <laughs> All right, so we are done with the Google Apps versus Office three sixty five. We've covered the basics of Office three sixty five.
1: And if anyone, and, and just really quickly, Lisa, if anyone has any more detailed yep. questions, they want to peg us, shoot us an email. We'll go ahead and we'll address that in a yep. in a, in in the future shows. Um, because again, we're not going to sit here and preach about every single thing. There's we could spend easily hours on that discussion. But if mm-hmm. you have any further questions, email us. We will tackle those on a one-on-one basis with you. Yep.
0: Right? And Derek is dw at firelogic.com. Firelogic.net. Oh, net. .net, sorry. <laughs> and I'm Lisa at biz for questions on migrations and Outlook. Okay, Derek. Next up is POP versus IMAP versus Exchange. Do we want to tackle this on or do another show on it? What's up? I would say it doesn't really hour. need that much. I don't, I don't think it really needs that much,
1: okay. uh, that much dedication. Why don't we just uh, touch on it just really cool. briefly? Should be easy. Um, you know, a lot of technicians know that, you know, the, the, we have three different style of, of, of email downloading, uh, technologies yep. that are out there for the, for, especially for Outlook. This is really the big, you know, big thing for Outlook users. Um, we have pop. You know pop is the oldest style format that is out there a lot of customers that never have experience with exchange or the nice things and the synced uh you know sync benefits from uh, that outlook can offer have, have you know they're usually the ones on pop access and 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 Lisa that again is the style where pop downloads messages and just downloads a single copy onto their machine right and there's and no synchronization leave,
0: and it can also leave a copy on the server which is just to, to tell folks, mm-hmm. people that have pop on their phone and pop on their uh, outlook. Okay. Let's just start with that. They hate that it's never syncing. So that's an upsell opportunity for you to mm-hmm. get them on exchange. They're my favorites. Uh, yeah. So when you set up your pop, you can keep a copy on the server. And that's what's most recommended because, you know, that's a backup. Um, the phone never matches though. And that's when people, that's when I go, oh, well, let's do exchange. That's my, there's what I'll do. And they're like, oh, I didn't know I could do that. And a lot of the clients that call in have their own businesses. So they're already on domain. So it's already an easy sell. Yep. And the big nasty yep. thing
1: is that is, is since there is no sync, if you have a customer that is doing a lot of folder separation on their Outlook and their desktop, and then they connect their phone, they're not going to see no. those folders on their phone. So again, nope. it's a very disparate experience between yeah. devices, and especially the more you add tablets and phones oh, and, and yes. laptops now. It is a messy proposal. And I love just it. A bad, PAP is just a bad, bad technology that just needs to, <laughs> needs to go away. But so.
0: actually, I'm glad it's still out there because that's a lot of my clientele. Well, there and, you go. <laughs> and I love when I see someone that's popping a domain. I'm like, hey, let's just do this. And they're like, wow, my iPad could have all these folders.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) I'm like, and it's so easy to move it. You click this button and it does it. I go, you keep your email managed so much better. Mm -hmm. Now, you got to remember the calls I get in are people with thousands and thousands of emails that are just, you know, not knowingly hoarders and uh, they're buried, you know, mm-hmm. so a lot of this, I actually add on a little email training as well. But anyway, so pop is my favorite kind of client. Um, IMAP is a full sync, syncs the folders, but no calendar and contacts. Yep. IMAP is my second favorite kind of client because IMAP is sticky and it doesn't always sync and mailboxes need to get rebuilt and people have a lot of problems with IMAP. And so I move them to exchange because they're calling with uh, mm, I, my calendar contacts don't match, but my IMAP or my email does. So that's a nice exchange upsell. And if I'm spending a couple hours fixing IMAP problems, I tell people, well, we just put you on exchange and then we don't have to do all this work. Exactly, <laughs> and they're exactly. like, oh, and so you get a better product? Yes, and I don't have to li- do the, you know, the labor to fix this IMAP problem. Which can be big.
1: Yeah. And in general, the rule of thumb, at least what I've seen in the field, Lisa, the, the rule of thumb I follow is that the more email someone has on IMAP, especially yes. over 20, 30 gigs, that becomes a really tenuous situation. Because IMAP is very prone to breaking once you get those kind of sizes. You, you uh, can't.
0: Areas. In in 2007, I think two mm-hmm. or three gigs is the max before it starts to break. Oh, wow. Well. 2010, nine gigs. 9, 10 gigs, you are in trouble mm-hmm. with IMAP on 2010. Mm-hmm. Now, 2013, that thing can, like you said, 20, 30 gigs can do it. Yep. But I never recommend it to people because it just gets heavy yep. within the syncing in general. So, so IMAP people are, are good if, uh, if, well, I look at it this way. IMAP clients on Outlook with iPhones are my favorite. <laughs> yeah, I'll admit that. iPhone and Apple and Microsoft have a better relationship than Google and Microsoft here, but okay, then next up is Exchange. The Holy, uh, the Holy Grail, the Holy Grail, our favorite of sync, sync
1: services. This is Syncing. what,
0: so this is what
1: comes with any 365 uh, plan or just Exchange Online for email only service from Microsoft. This is uh, included with every package they offer, and this is full, true multi-way sync between Outlook, between your smartphones, between your tablets, between different copies of Outlook on multiple machines. This is pretty much giving someone their full, complete replica of their mailbox across multiple different devices at one given time. I mean. It, it it just works. It's stable. It's fast. Um, you read something on one device, it marks as red or deletes it on the other oh, yeah. device near instantly. I mean, it's it's it's, the, it's the best version, the best kind of sync that you could ever have uh, on on uh, for an email service.
0: And let's just correct before we get going that sure. there's a few different names for it. It used to be called hosted Exchange mm-hmm. back in the day, which it was a you know, because this kind of leads to our next question, Um, you know, we'll just say GoDaddy offered Hosted Exchange four gigs, yeah. two gigs, clunky, you know, and I think you said uh, they did it themselves versus going through Microsoft, right? Mm-hmm. So, if you had problems with GoDaddy and Hosted Exchange, good luck. They weren't very forgiving <laughs> when you had to call in, because their they're first-level guys are like, there's nothing we can do. I'm mm-hmm. like, yes, there is something you can do. Give me second-level support. You can't do yeah. that. Yeah. Okay, so anyway, moving ahead. Then it went from Hosted Exchange to what's called two things business class email which is how microsoft markets it but it's actually called exchange online so it's now in terms when you buy the product alone it's exchange online but marketed by microsoft to be business class email does that make sense Derek?
1: Yes. yes, It definitely does. It definitely does. And and I want everyone to know that Host Exchange is still around. I mean, you can still go out there and, you know, from big players like Intermedia or Mail Street or GoDaddy still offers it. Um, you know, a lot of them are still offering Host Exchange, you know, but the the big problem is there's two big things that I always tell customers. The, the, well, actually three. Um, you know, the price point that you're going to get on Host Mm -hmm. Exchange is never going to beat what Office 365 is providing because if you think about it, the way that Host Exchange is run, it's pretty much, you know, these providers putting servers up into data centers and running a full-blown copy of Exchange just for you. and that's how you're getting your service and that comes with all the maintenance headaches, all the licensing headaches, all the problems that can occur with a single install of Exchange and you know that's really all Host Exchange is. When you're talking about Exchange Online this is a special version of Exchange that has all the bells and whistles that the on-premise edition does but it's specially built to run in the cloud and be replicated across multiple Microsoft data centers. It is the latest and greatest version of Exchange at any given time that Microsoft has out on the market and surprise, surprise, only Office 365 or Microsoft customers get access to it. And uh, that's really, 50 no gigs. no one else. And 50 it's 50 gigs of email space, which, which is, is insane. much larger than most other host exchange providers give at, you know, 15 20 gigs of space most of the time. Microsoft has it at 50 and Lisa, I wouldn't be surprised if Microsoft upset and says, you know I was what? Gonna say that. We're going to build we're going to make it 100 gigs or even make it unlimited. unlimited. At some point. And yeah, here's unlimited. the thing
0: though, is if they're going to do that, then they're going to upgrade Outlook 2013, which I've kind mm-hmm. of heard uh, the rumor mm-hmm. about it. Mm-hmm. That thing is probably going to be like Choice is better because mm-hmm. if you're gonna offer someone unlimited, I'm gonna be a very busy girl. <laughs> Being an Outlook, <laughs> you're gonna expert. take good advantage of that, space, <laughs> yeah. right? Like do it. I'm all for it because the more people can have, the more problems that they get. Mm-hmm. I mean, in general, software you know is not meant to be. You know, they they upped mm-hmm. it from 25 gigs to 50 gigs because they knew Outlook 2013 could hold it. Yeah, I mean, otherwise they wouldn't do it. But then people like me have to fix all these problems that people get themselves in, and I could exactly. go into uh, tons of problems that they have. But uh, so anyway, the Exchange is our favorite. It is the Holy Grail of email synchronization, contacts, calendars. It's a bulk of my work is doing small email migrations for Office 365 people that call in. So,
1: and, and, and Lisa, one last thing I want to mention on the Host Exchange uh, debates, since I have this so often with customers, um, is that Host Exchange. One thing you do want to know as well: the release. Cycles and the update cycles you get from your provider are wholly dependent on your provider. And most of the time, I have a lot of customers out there that, you know, when I deal with Host Exchange and moving them to 365, they're still on Exchange 2007 or Exchange mm-hmm. 2010. These providers are very slow oh, yeah. at upgrading their Exchange versions. So, all the customers out there seeing what Microsoft's got in 365 and they're all jealous about it, you know, that is because, you know, it is very slow to upgrade those, those, those traditional backbones that they're using at the yeah. Host Exchange provider. And
0: I'm going to guess that um, companies like GoDaddy aren't going to because they offer 365 now. Yeah. So they're yep. like not going to upgrade those. Yeah,
1: a lot of them are just trying to say, you know what, customer, I'm going to move you <laughs> myself on a 365. Yeah. We don't want to deal
0: with the old uh, and le- servers and anymore. And let's not talk about their horrible interface. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll skip that. <laughs> yeah, that's not worth talking about. <laughs> okay. So next, we kind of did touch upon it, Hosted Exchange versus Office 365. And then finally... The end of our show is getting into Office 365 as a service to sell. So Derek, why don't you start by telling us how you initially got interested in this? Was Google Apps first or Microsoft? Yeah, and, and, and actually my
1: story really does you know revolve around Google Apps. That is actually the product that I was working with and moving customers on. I mean I was a, a Google Apps, I still am a Google Apps certified trainer and deployment specialist. I you know all that I got under my belt you know back in 2011, uh, and I was you know moving clients to that product you know way before 365. Uh, so I had a lot of experience in the cloud email arena and and using this kind of a cloud email systems. Uh, you know, already had moved you know, customers about 30, 40 seats in size, I put perhaps 50 seats in size at that point. So I had a lot of comfort with that, but, you know, also the exchange side, right? I was moving clients from the exchange realm, traditional exchange, uh, and I was still supporting a lot of uh, exchange uh, setups and installs and and even doing some migrations for exchange. So uh, it was definitely something that, you know, know, I, I was already familiar with. So since I had that background knowledge, you know, when 365 really started to make that transition to the better release, I finally said, you know, customers are starting to want this and this is something that, you know, I'm gonna have to learn because, you know, I I, I figure that, you know, Microsoft's behind it and going so heavily into the cloud, I don't know how long how much longer mm-hmm. hosted exchange or even traditional exchange is gonna be around. You know, we need to start making a transition into the into a cloud first uh, arena. So, you know, that was sort of where my 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 interest in 365 came about, and when I had an opportunity that came up, I believe it was you know my gosh if I recall that first opportunity was I think a a fifteen or twenty person firm that we moved over. Uh, and again, you know I let the customer know that you know this is the first mm-hmm. 365 move we're doing. I have ex- you know great experience in Google Apps, I have great experience with Exchange, and this is along those same lines. So you know they were very uh, you know reasonable about yeah. that, un- understood, and were willing to go down that path with me because they trusted me for a lot of other things that we deployed that, you know, I've never done before. So it was a natural fit for us to go ahead uh, and do that. Um, so that really, you know, was, was, was sort of my first experience with it. Um, learned a lot of things, right? A lot of the rough edges. The problems. <laughs> you know, in terms of the problems, <laughs> I, I, one of the biggest things I learned was that Microsoft's first party migration tools for 365 are really not that great. And I had to actually change course during our migration on the spot and pull, you know, start using a third party migration oh. tool. Because, uh, you know, what I run up against, so just so everyone knows, uh, was that if you're going to use Microsoft's first-party migration tools, especially if you're doing what's called their cutover migration, this is not, you know, the kind of style that Lisa uses. Lisa, you do more of a manual. Yeah approach to your moves. This was more of a you know server-side automated move we tried to do. And if you're doing that and using Microsoft's tools, and you don't have a, a certificate that is signed by a one of the big providers, like GoDaddy or VeriSign or one of those uh, for your SSL, then Microsoft's tool will refuse to work with your server. So that is something I <laughs> learned in a nasty way on our first migration, actually on the Friday night that we had to start the move. I did not know about that. In the very fine, fine print of the fine print, Microsoft had a little... That said, self signed certificates are not acceptable for uh, no. our tools. And that was, that really irked me really bad. So, you know, that was sort of my branching out into using third party tools like MigrationWiz yeah. uh, and MessageOps tools. And we'll talk about that more on show three. Oh, that's uh, but stuff yeah. I have no idea about. Yeah, I mean, with the, those kind of, those kind of things are really can, you know, if, if, you don't have experience and, and you don't know how to pull yourself out of a rut like that in, in a, in a bind, you know, uh, that's the kind of thing that can just derail a whole migration. So I, yeah. I'm gonna, I want to definitely share some of those stories and more insight on that on show three, cause mm-hmm. we're gonna really dive into migration, especially on the, you know, the, the mid-sized business side and the enterprise side. Yep.
0: Well, that's all, that's all good information. I think that, uh, the, the I've talked about my first story and on many different shows, but I think Mm -hmm. what, what bothered me the most was that when I was doing a lot of outlook support and people wanted synchronization, I was working with third party apps And I was afraid of the word exchange. Now, Mm -hmm. Derek, I was an exchange administrator in the corporate world. But you know what? I was the top-level admin. You know, I was making accounts, moving mailboxes, blah, blah, blah. I never did the server side, really, Mm -hmm. of configuring. So to me, exchange was scary. But then finally, I started to hear more about it. And I was like, okay, I have to learn this. I don't know how to do it. So literally I like begged and begged people to help me. Like anybody that talked mm-hmm. about, it, I was like, how do you do it? How do you do it? Sure. And that's why in my book, um, called that girl's guide to Microsoft exchange migrations, mm-hmm. it covers everything in 22 pages. I give tons of tips, scenarios, the step by steps, the things that took me a long time to figure out. And that was kind of the fun part, but I was very scared when I first did. The first job, because I was worried about that MX record and delivery. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that panicked me more than anything. Their mail's gonna stop, and I can't fix yeah. it. Yeah, and, and that's something that, that's
1: something that a lot of technicians, you know, are are afraid of. You know, what's gonna yeah. happen in that twilight zone period, yeah. as we call it, right? The period of where the internet is, yeah. you know, propagating the changes that you made. Yeah. What's gonna happen? Where's that mail gonna go? And and again, we can go into more detail on, yeah. on show number three because that is actually a very good topic, and that oh, yeah. scares a lot of people from uh, from doing this because they just don't know what to expect when that when that MX change comes about.
0: And I think that when you're starting to take on territories you're not familiar with, it's scary but yet exciting at the same time. And then after Mm -hmm. I did a few, I was like, I I still, probably the first 20, 30 I did, because you get to know different uh, companies with their control panels and how fast that they update Mm -hmm. records, and that is the scary part. You're not seeing email deliver, and you're like, what the heck? (laughs) The records are right. Just send, receive. And when you see it the first time in the new mailbox, you're like, oh. It worked. And now I just have it so down that I go do other things while it's, you know, I mean, I'm not nervous anymore. Some days I'm nervous, but, uh, anyway, so those questions are more geared for you because I always love hearing the stories and the problems and, um, and what we learned to do and. And I guess uh we'll show, three,
1: show three we will be uh, I'll be rounding off oh, all, yeah. those, all those nightmare points and, and and letting everyone know what to expect and how to go about situations like that uh, MX record changes DNS propagation yeah. uh, you know CNAME records all that good stuff that you was know, scary for me at first but now I can like you said <laughs> do it in my sleep and you know pretty much just uh, I don't know you know play video games while I'm doing migration. hey stuff. I actually got hired, not that hard
0: I actually got hired to figure out an MX record was wrong mm-hmm. I was like I did that yep I did. <laughs> I mean, I could have done it a long time ago, but to me, uh-huh. uh, it's kind of like I'm building on my, my consultation, you know, I'm, sure, I'm getting sure. better at it. And I think that um there's a lot to love about this. It's not just email. It's just not the migration. It's not just Outlook, but you kind of have to like Outlook if you're going to do this.
1: It's true. You and and the reason the and the reason being for that, Lisa, as you know, I mean, from your experience as well as mine, um, you know, the email site, even though 365 is, you know, includes the downloadable products, includes the yeah. link, includes, includes SharePoint, includes OneDrive and all the other little things, you know, 80%, 75 80%, at least in my experience, it is surrounding email. It's mm-hmm. around, you know, email inboxes, around shared calendars, shared mailboxes. Mm-hmm. It's core traditional email. I mean, that's yeah. the long and short of it. You know, the other products are nice and you're going to deal with them a little bit, but the bulk of what most moves entail and the biggest worries are definitely email related exchange core traditional exchange related
0: yeah and i think that's what the what's interesting is with the series that we plotted out here it's going to deal with everything involving email migration records and uh kind of in the how, how to list and uh well derek i gotta say i think this was a good show we knocked it out we we did our list here and if people have questions I think this was great yeah <laughs> I really want to hear any questions that people have from out in the wild because uh, you know I definitely
1: want to make sure we dedicate a little bit of time to answering those if there's something that you want us to surely cover especially show mm-hmm. two show two we're going to be covering the licensing side selling 365 you know how to have that conversation this is a big problem that I see with customers is that there's so much confusion customers call me and say you know what I oh my god I talked to five different vendors I had 10 different stories about how to mm-hmm. license license 365, and why I should go with Business Premium or E3 or E1, and my gosh, the confusion out there is unbelievable. And and a big part of the problem is Microsoft, but a big part of the problem as well is technicians that are not giving the proper advice to their customers. So I want exactly. to make sure that that people that are listening to this are going to know how we successfully sell 365, you know, and do it in an honest way that is making sure that customers are getting onto the plan they should be at with the licensing that they need, and you know, the whole nine yards of what surrounds that. So I, I show you. <laughs> is going to be really great. I, I can't wait for, for us to yeah. get on, uh, on the road with that one. And
0: then I'm going to give everybody my five secret words that help a sale. <laughs> Here is what you need. That's all you got to say because you think about it, people are in a mess with something and you're like, here's what you need. And they're like, That's hey, right. what do I need? And you tell them and they buy it. I have great sales. I'm happy. Well, I'm happy and, with and everything. You, you get you. I mean, we are that trusted consultant, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's why our customers look to us. I mean, yeah. we're not just you know salespeople sitting there and selling a product and never dealing with the customer. Yeah. I mean, you're selling it to them and you're also implementing it, so yep. you're going to be on the hook. You know, if things are up. You know, sold yeah. improperly or don't work. So you know, it's the it's the start to finish, all encompassing yes. aspect of 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 selling it right, installing it right, and supporting it right. You know, everything needs to fall together properly with with this. Right.
0: and the more 5. you do, the more comfortable you will get. I tell you, it took me a while to get my shtick down. Like, you know, I can get an exchange sale done in eight minutes now. That's that's my seven to eight minute mark is when I know I got someone. And the reason Mm -hmm. why is because I've done a good pitch in a short amount of time. And then I'm like, Hey, let's schedule it. And then after I get on the calendar, you do all the other work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't do the other work till I get it down. So we'll talk about that, the landing and all that stuff. Uh, It took me a while to figure it out, but I'm real happy. Okay. So again, my email is Lisa at call that girl. biz. Derek is DW at fire you can check out my eBooks at CallThatGirl.biz/publications, and let's see, um, we are going to have a website out so we can put the podcast shows on there. It'll be www.office365techshow.com. You can all also, one word, all one word. I love it, Office365TechShow, <laughs> and you can also still download our audios at Podnuts.com/ctg. Any final words, Derek, for our listeners? Boy, I think, we, I think we hit it home. I think I really we did think it. We, we touched on all the
1: topics that have caused a lot of that upfront confusion and frustration and the basics around 365. I think, again, you know, 365 is a big big product and it's got so many uh, tentacles, uh. as I say. Um, but, you know, if you take it piecemeal and, and sort of, you know, go through this in a, in a step-by-step fashion, understanding it and getting some experience with it is really Mm-mm. not that bad in the end. So, well, so take getting... a look
0: at it this way, listeners. You can start doing what I do and then grow to Derek's level because... If you go to Derek's level first, you miss all the fun of the beginning parts with me.
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly. Learn small, think, learn small, grow big. Yeah, don't do it the other way around. I don't
0: think I ever want to have a business like Derek's. It just kind of is like I like how I do it, my simple little ways, and you can handle the two three hundred people. And that's the decision we as business owners make: is where's our happy place? And so when you listen to these shows, hopefully you'll hear it. If you're attracted to one or the other, that's what these shows are for. Exactly right. All right. Well, thanks, listeners, and check us out again on our next show, which we're going to give you folks some time to email us some questions, and then we'll we'll schedule up another Saturday here and, and get another show out for you. Thanks, everyone. Have a good day. Thank you. All right.